Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. It was pre-COVID. You kind of don't even count the COVID years anymore, do you? Um, although apparently we're still... Anyway. Uh, and so been in our house for three and a half years. Before that, we rented for nine years. And, and when, we, when we got into a great house, obviously we wanted to buy. We wanted to, to get into it. But straight away, we wanted some renos done because we wanted to make it our home. Not just the house that we bought, but our home. And so straight away, we renoed the bathrooms and did flooring and all sorts of things. And one of the, the major renos that we completed last year was we were on a corner block and one, one side of the house, one whole side of the house, was we, we basically didn't use because it was just a jungle. And I'm not a gardener. I turn green things brown, uh, and yeah, hands up if you do that, do the same. And so what we did was we ripped everything out. I'm good at ripping things out, uh, and we replaced it with uh, with some decking and a pergola and artificial turf. A- amen. Can I hear an amen for artificial turf? Hell, who wants to who wants to be you know pushing a lawnmower around at 40 degrees you know in summer? No one wants to do that. Uh, and so we love it, but. But what we realised was a main reason why we didn't access that side of the house was because there were no easy ways into it. There was no easy access. You either had to go around the back of the house and come around or go around the front of the house. And so what we did to increase the access to that side of the house was we turned a window into a door. Now there's something about turning windows into doors. Now windows have benefits, right? Windows are great because they let the sun and the warmth in. They're secure, obviously. Um, except, I mean, who's, who as a kid broke a window with by throwing something? Yeah, boys and girls. That's cool. Uh, my brother, oh, that's another story. I won't say that. <laughs> I had a younger brother, just me and my brother. So how many things do you reckon got broken? <laughs> Lots. Windows bring the, the, the warmth and the sun in, and they're also great to observe outside. If you like to be a nosy neighbour and like to see what's going on with that, your neighbours, you can have a bit of a peek. Doors have similar benefits, especially if you have a door that actually has uh, some glass on it, because not only is it secure, not only does the heat come in and, you can, and the warmth and you can look outside, the added bonus that a door has is it gives you access to a whole new area. It expands the possibilities. And whilst a window can speak of containment, of keeping something in, a door speaks of expansion, of creating opportunities for more. Turning a window into a door can help us to reimagine, and this is a series that we've been preaching at Hepburn Heights over the last few weeks, reimagine, based on Ephesians, a great prayer from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll read verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, everybody say immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. 
That's cool. His power in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to home in on ask or imagine. Asking and imagining. These can be viewed as markers, as signs in us of faith, of active trust in God. When we're asking, when we're imagining that God can do and will do certain things, there's, that, that speaks of faith, right? They can be a means by which you and I are joined with God, with his reality, with his love and with his plans and purpose for planet Earth. And his plans are immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. What you and I can ask or imagine. And his plans are at work on the inside of us. That's stunning. Pastor Steve talked about his plan being coming to pass through the church. And this is the reality of that, the power of heaven, the immeasurably more on the inside of the people of God, working, working, doing amazing things. Now, we've got to be clear here. God's ability to do the immeasurably more is not dependent on our asking or imagining because he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. But our level of participation with him our ability to be transformed by his presence and his power that is impacted by our asking and imagining. And if asking and imagining are key ingredients to our faith journey, and the, the author of the letters of the Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. If that's how important faith is that what we ask God to do and imagine him to be able to do, that matters. And this is where I want to come back to the window and the door analogy. We can see our faith either as a window or a door. Either something to contain us, something to contain God, something to observe but never truly participate in, or we can view our faith as something that is expanding our view of his greatness, of his immeasurably more, deepening our trust in him and growing our experience of his love. And so it's time to reimagine church. And today I'm going to highlight two ways that we can reimagine through the biblical story of Rahab. We're going Old Testament today. Amen. Come on. The Bible of Jesus. Do you know that this is a, just an interesting fact that I, I read on Twitter? Um, I don't post a lot. I do read a lot on Twitter. There's only 12 chapters in the New Testament that don't have a reference or an allusion to the Old Testament. 12 chapters in the whole New Testament. You think the Old Testament's relevant? Then you're therefore throwing the New Testament out as well. That's how it entwined the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, and so Rahab is introduced to us in the, in the book of Joshua. And the people of God at this time are at a real pivotal moment. And so Moses, the great leader, had let them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And there seemed like there was this awesome clear pathway from getting out of Egypt to the promised land that God had called them to. Not 40 years worth of <laughs> distance. However, at Joshua, at this point, we, we, we find that the people of Israel have wandered 
around the desert, wandered and wandered aimlessly for 40 years. Why? Well, a whole generation had to die out. A whole generation of disobedient, of people who didn't trust God. They needed to die out because God wanted his people to be people of faith. People who weren't hindered by the past to be the ones who were walking into that promised land. And so a whole new generation were there. And Moses had died and Joshua had been installed as the new leader. And so they're on the precipice of stepping into the promised land. Displaced for 40 years in slavery for so long. And they're about to walk into their promised land. And what stood in the way? This nice, big, chunky, fortified city called Jericho. And Rahab was a resident of Jericho. And we're going to read a really good section of scripture today. I preached this this morning. It's, it's, it's hot off the press. And someone said, wow, I've never been in a church service where so much scripture has been read. I'm like, I don't know whether to take that as a positive or a negative. Is that a compliment? I don't even know. So just buckle in. But I think we really need to, to be able to get into the, the heart of, yeah. of this story. We need to read a good chunk of scripture and the words of God are so much better than my words anyway. <laughs> Joshua 2, amen, says Steve. Let's give Steve another round of applause. <laughs> Joshua 2. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the roads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. She literally turned her window into a door. Since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city, 
Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you. She said to them, hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land you tie the scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. So much imagery around the scarlet cord. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they'd gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country, stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. And we know on the basis of that testimony, we know what the people of God did. They crossed the Jordan. They got to the city of Jericho. They walked around the walls for seven days. And on the seventh time of the seventh day that they walked around that, those walls, the walls came crumbling down and they had access to all of the city. And so they go in and they're ready to plunder. And then we pick it up again in Joshua 6. Verses 22 to 25. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who were with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy in Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. Now, before we move on, if you are challenged by this idea of the people of God destroying another people group, and how, how does that fit with a loving God? And, and I've had those challenges and I probably still do, then I recommend uh, theologian and, and author Paul Copen. He's, wrote, he's written some really great books to help us navigate the context of Old Testament times. And, and so three of his books, they're not, they don't sound <laughs> really appealing, and they are quite hard to read, but they're, they're worth it. Is God a moral monster? Is God a vindictive bully? And did God really command genocide? Some fun reads. Uh, but uh, hey, I just want to help you. Uh, and I've got two of those books, and so uh, I, I recommend them. So from this story, I want to encourage us all this evening to reimagine the details of our call and to reimagine our identity. So first one, reimagine the details of the call. Now, the, the spies were given this mission. They were given this plan this this call go and scout the land and then bring us bring us back a report they they were given the what but they weren't given the how they weren't given the details of how they were supposed to do that so the obvious thing you do when you get to jericho is you go to visit the brothel right i mean can we just back up here really why would you go to a brothel why would that be the first place you go to? Was it to stay under the radar? Well, fail. 
That didn't work. The king of Jericho found out straight away. Was it to, to you know, knowing the type of people that might be there, which more likely to kind of get the information that you need and win some people over to, oh, maybe, but whatever their reason, I'm sure the spies were truly shocked when they arrived in that place and the woman there already had a seed of faith in God and she was looking for an opportunity for that faith to come alive, for that window to be turned into a door. I'm not sure for the spies that a Canaanite woman who sold sex for payment would have been high on the list of allies that they needed. Maybe at the bottom. But Rahab ended up being a catalyst, the catalyst for the information they needed, for the protection they needed, and for the escape they needed to fulfill their call, to fulfill their mission. And, and to fill the gaps, to provide the details, Rahab put a lot on the line. She put her, her identity on the line, her livelihood. She put her, her sense of national pride on the line, and she put her actual life on the line. Rahab, a woman, a Canaanite, a prostitute, she had the trifecta going on back in those days. Yet God used her in stunning, stunning fashion. Now what if Rahab had offered the help to the spies, and the spies said, can you just give us a few minutes, and they kind of went, okay, plan sounds good. But we don't agree with her lifestyle. So I don't know if we're going to let her help us. Silence. There was silence ahead of heights at that moment as well. What if they'd said no? How things would have been different. But they somehow saw God in this. They reimagined the details of their call. They didn't reimagine their call. They didn't reimagine their, their God, but they reimagined the details of their call. They put their faith, their active trust in God. And they went, God, you can do anything. You're able to do immeasurably more than what I can ask or imagine. Therefore, I'm going to put my trust in you and you're going to make a way. And that's what he did. And maybe you and I, we've got God-given desires. We've got this sense of call in us. Maybe we have a sense of God's call for a particular way of life or a particular mission or plan or to, or to a profession or to a, a certain type of people. Maybe we can't articulate it. Or maybe we're in a season where we're kind of doubting that, that call. Things haven't gone our way. But I think not, regardless, we can all kind of... We can all say, yeah, there is some sense that within us, God has called us to a purpose. Now, when it comes to that call, when it comes to that purpose, we might have a sense that God has given it to us. But rarely do we then have the mapped out plan, the step by step plan. Right? That's not how God works. And in that moment, when we get the sense and have the sense that God has a plan for us, that there's a purpose for us, that there's a, a reason we're on this planet, but we don't have the, the next step or the, the way clearly mapped out. You and I have a decision to make. We have a decision to make then and then we have a choice to make every single day of our lives. 
We can know it's God-given, our call, and we can say that we trust God with the steps, and then we can actually trust Him in our everyday lives. We can actively trust, put our faith, put our hope in Him as we pray, as we read the Word, as we get connected with discipleship community. We can either do that or we can say, yeah, that's a God-given call that we've been given. Yeah, I, I, I trust God with the details, with every step, but then try and control every step. And we all do it, right? We all do it to some degree, but the more we do it, the more we do this, the more we try and micromanage the creator of the universe, the more we're strangling our ability to ask, to hope, to imagine, to be curious, to operate in faith and to actively trust God. Because somehow we've replaced God with our ability, with our wisdom, with our expertise. And God wants the glory. Make no, no, no qualms about it. He's holy. We're not. He's worthy of the glory. We're not. But every time we try and control the steps of the call, we are taking the glory from him. But we reimagine what God is able to do as we let go of control. Well, easy, Ben. It's real easy just to let go. Just let go. Well, just let go of control. It's hard. Because letting go of control means we have to look within and we have to look at the motives and we have to, we have to kind of go back to our past and the way we've been brought up and, and, and what are those fears and what are those insecurities? We have to look within. And so letting go of control is hard enough, but then I have to look within. I have to, oh, that's tough. Because it's much easier to blame other things, external reasons of why our call isn't humming along, or why we're not hearing from God the way we used to, or our lives aren't as fruitful as we'd like them to be, or we, we don't feel as led by the Holy Spirit as we used to. We can blame circumstances, and we can blame other people. But what if there's work to be done in here? What if the work is to be done in here? And what if inadvertently, not on purpose, but inadvertently, you and I are actually stifling the spirit and the ability for him to do the incredible, the immeasurably more in us. Je Jesuit priest and theologian Carl Rayner, it's not going to come up on the screen, but this is a really challenging thought. We must face the possibility with fear and trembling that we could be the ones who stifle the spirit. Stifle him through that pride in knowing better, that criteria of the heart, that cowardice, that unteachability with which we react to fresh impulses and new pressures in the church. Let's reimagine. Let's be people who are willing to go there, who are willing to let go of control. Let's be people who are willing to look within and go, okay, God, maybe I'm getting in the way of you. Help me. And maybe it's around people. Maybe there's someone in our world who doesn't naturally fit with what we believe, 
doesn't have the same theology as us or the same lifestyle of us, but like catalyst, like Rahab was a catalyst for the spies, could be a catalyst for you and I stepping into and fulfilling God's call. What if there's someone in our world right now? A very person in our world who is to be a catalyst for what God wants to do in us, that we're pushing away. Or maybe it's around beliefs. What if there's a secondary belief, a doctrine that we're, we're holding a little higher than we should? Maybe even elevating this belief or this opinion to a primary place and it's all of a sudden become the absolute focus of our lives. And it's limiting our asking and our imagining. What if we were able to bring that to God and let go of control and say, God, I am sorry it's been all about this thing. And I don't even know if I believe it. I don't even know if it's actually true. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to trust you that you would help me make the main thing the main thing. The main thing, the main thing. Maybe it's around practices. Maybe a step that God is calling us to, the next step on our journey is the very thing that we have said I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. Never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm, I'm not going back to study. I'm never going to try that art class. There's no way I'm going to have people in my home regularly. I'm not the hospitable type. I'm not going to be a part of the QB prayer meetings this week. Prayer's not my jam. I'm not going to try that season of fasting. I'm never giving to beyond. I'm not going to incorporate silence into my prayer life. What are you talking about? I was sprinkled as a baby. Why would I then go and get fully immersed in water baptism? Many more examples. But what if the thing we said we would never do is actually the next step that God has for us? That's a, just, a, a, just a wacky thought. And what if that sense of stuckness that we feel in our faith, in our lives, is because the very thing that will help us get unstuck, we said we never, ever do. I want to encourage us. It's time to reimagine the details of our call because our God is bigger our God is greater. Our God is holy. Our God is worthy of praise and honour. And he is able to do what we can only hope or imagine and so much more. Let's reimagine the details of our call. And lastly, let's reimagine our identity. Now, we're aware that Rahab doesn't come from the greatest of stock. <laughs> She's Canaanite. She's a prostitute. She's likely at the lower rungs of her society, let alone the people of God. And throughout history, someone like this, someone who has sold sex for money, hasn't enjoyed high esteem. Hasn't been put up there as a great role model. And I remember in the 80s, when I was a kid, and we lived in Kalgoorlie, my mates and I would ride our BMXs with BMX bands. We'd ride to the, the start of Hay Street. And Hay Street in Kalgoorlie in the 80s was the place where there were active brothels. 
There were ladies out on the streets on both sides of the road trying to solicit clients in the 80s. And my mates and I would dare each other <laughs> to ride through the street. And we, I don't know, somehow thought maybe we'd get like attacked or something. I don't know. But it just felt dangerous. It felt like we were at the edge of normal society. and We'd kind of come into this society, this place of outcasts. It felt dangerous. And prostitution was forbidden according to Mosaic law. Severe penalties were given for those who engaged in it. And it was likely tolerated to some degree in ancient Israel. But overall, it was a profession that was totally socially unacceptable. And so Rahab, she had as undesirable a reputation and identity as you could have. Yeah, we might be sitting here tonight and we could feel exactly like Rahab. Blemished, broken, used, not seen, not valued, and have a real low sense of self-worth. We could even say we're Christians. But we're Christians by name, not by nature, because our identity is still based on past pain or present problems or people's opinions. <coughs> but something changed for Rahab. Something changed. Something changed that meant her future was changed forever and her identity was reimagined. In the end of Joshua 6, we read that she's actually brought in. It's a good outcome. She's brought in and grafted into the family of God. She's saved. But more than that, it's not the last time we hear of Rahab in the Bible. She's actually mentioned three more times in the New Testament. She's mentioned in Matthew 1, 5. Get this. She is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And then she's mentioned twice more, one in James and one in Hebrews. And, and, and in what context is she mentioned in James and Hebrews? As a powerful example of a person of faith, of active trust in God. Oh, the redemption of our great God. You see, that the spies, when they came to Rahab, they didn't have to preach to her. They didn't have to convince her to twist her. Oh, you've got to believe in the one true God. It was already obvious to her that God was real and God was moving. She'd been persuaded by the rumours that she'd heard of this, this the powerful Israel's God who would come and destroy Jericho. And this led to her conviction, a conviction of belief in God that was greater than her fear of what would happen if the authorities found out. And so she saw an opportunity and she seized it. She reimagined her identity and she turned a window into a door and her faith was activated. Her faith came alive as she helped the spies escape. This changed everything. She, she was spared from destruction, her and her whole family. She was brought into the people of God, a part of the family, a full recipient of God's blessing. 
and she becomes a poster girl for a person of faith. That is just amazing. That is the power of reimagining our identity in light of the one true God. Tikva Freimer Kensky. She is a professor of the Hebrew Bible and a history and the history of Judaism. She summarizes it perfectly. Rahab, who begins as triply marginalized Canaanite woman and prostitute, moves to the center as bearer of a divine message and herald of Israel in its new land. Even though later generations of readers have been squeamish about her occupation, preferring to think of her as an innkeeper, she is remembered in Jewish tradition as the great proselyte, the great convert, as ancestress of kings and prophets, and in the New Testament, as ancestress of Jesus. And so what does it look like for you and I to reimagine our identity from one founded on the things that are wrong with us to one founded on who God says we are. What does it look like? I believe it starts in our mind. It starts in our thinking. So a man, a woman thinks, there he or she goes. And so it starts in here. It doesn't start out there. It starts in here. And the greatest tool to help in here to help us in here get a, a grip, get a sense of our identity in God is the Bible. And it's as you and I grasp that, declare that, believe that, put that actively into place in our lives, that we are able to reimagine our identity. And so uh, Pastor Jace has put together for the purpose of renewed prayer that happens at 5pm on Sundays at Hepburn Heights. I am and I have scripture declarations. And it summarises who you and I are in God according to the word of God. And so I've just made, we've got some printouts of those. And so if you want to grab one of those at the end of the service and take it home, put it up in the toilet, put it up in your bathroom, put it up somewhere, uh, and then you can... Read, grab one and declare it, pray it, reflect on it, journal it, look at the scripture because there's a scripture reference connected to it as well. Uh, and allow that to really shift and change the way we see ourselves in view of God's truth. And so I'd love to right now pray some of these scripture declarations over UC3QB. Would that be okay? So why don't you close your eyes? And I really do believe that lies are going to be exposed and lies are going to be crushed as I speak some of these out today. Things that we've thought about ourselves. Oh, well, if that happened, therefore, this is going to happen. But I believe that there's going to be a bringing down, a shattering of some of those lies that we've believed and we're going to receive the truth of the Word of God tonight. You ready? You are God's child. 
You are Christ's friend. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a citizen of heaven. You are alive with Christ. You are raised up with Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. You were chosen before the creation of the world. You are holy and blameless. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are in him. You are forgiven. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are God's co-worker. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are God's workmanship. You are a holy temple. You are greatly loved by God. You are God's chosen. You are gifted and called. You are a living stone being built up in him. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. You have been established and anointed and sealed by God. You have been given a spirit of power, love, sound mind. You have been lavishly given God's glorious grace. You have redemption. You have hope. You have access to the Father. You have peace. You have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. You have the mind of Christ. You have freedom in Christ. You have been justified. You have been made righteous. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness. You have been made complete in Christ. choose to take a hold of what you say we, we are, what, what you say we have. We make a choice to put our trust and our hope in what you say. We put our hope and our trust in you, living God. And I pray, God, that you would transform our minds and transform our hearts, continually by the power of your Spirit who raised Christ from the dead and is working within us. And I pray that we would reimagine. We would reimagine the details of our call. 
and we would reimagine our identity. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.